I want to give you a couple of headlines. Ukraine invasion. NATO deploying response force for the first time to counter Putin. Now, what makes this really interesting is that when the Soviet Union collapsed in December of 1991, uh, Ukraine separated from them, but Ukraine had a lot of the nuclear weapons and interballistic missiles. And so Russia said, those are ours, we want them back. Ukraine says, they're ours, we're not giving them back. And what happened was uh, President Clinton intervened at that time, and he said, look, you need to give them back. And uh, they said, we don't want to give them back because we know what Russia's all about, and we need these for security. He said, don't worry. Look, we'll protect you and sent a memo, but came short of signing with NATO an alliance treaty that, as you know or may not know, under Article 5, that means what happens to one happens to all. So they've been left in that limbo kind of stage uh, since 1991. What we see unfolding today is really what was very, very predictable in that whole situation. And so the world is, is really posed in a, in a unique way to either this can either get solved or this can go really, really large. And as you look at history, you know that small things can become out of control before you know it. It only takes one rocket, one bullet, one wrong diplomacy, and we could face some amazing and unbelievably sad situation uh, in Europe. Here's another uh, headline. China says it supports Russia amid Ukrainian invasion, backs Putin's claim he's ready for negotiations. Now, why would China do that? Because their aim is on Taiwan. So what they want to do is they want to, this is really a test stage for them. If this goes well and the world somehow buys into it and there's not too much resistance from President Biden, which we don't anticipate too much, um, then, then, then China will feel at liberty to go into Taiwan. Uh, another uh, headline, Russia attacks Ukraine. Is this the, uh, is this the uh, World War III? And so headlines like these, they're, they're by nature, a headline is designed to capture your attention. It, it might even border on sensationalism to capture your attention. But um, as you think about this subject of geopolitics and the Bible, and that you say, how do those two things work together? Well, remember, the Bible is probably one of the most political books on planet Earth. People say, what? Yeah, from, from day one, from Genesis chapter 10, when Nimrod establishes Babylon, the first kingdom, human kingdom, all the way through, in fact, Babylon is the last human kingdom that is, um, is actually dealt with by God in Revelation chapter 18, you see a constant tension going on with political leaders and governments trying to stop the work of God. And then you see those who are of faith standing up to government with the, with the power of God. In fact, on one occasion when two of the disciples were arrested for preaching the gospel, uh, they said, you, not, you can't do this anymore. And they said, we must obey God rather than man. But you decide what is best. You decide what is right. In other words, we will be subject to your authority, but we're, so subjection, submission is different than obedience. We only obey God. Okay, but we submit to local authority. 
And that local authority, when, the, when it's wrong, then we have a responsibility as citizens to challenge that. Why? So that the world might know Jesus Christ. You see, if you live in a world without peace and without the freedom to share the gospel, then what you do is you stop, you put a stranglehold on the message of the kingdom. So God wants us to work in both of those worlds. Ronald Reagan in 1983 made what I call the famous evil empire speech. I want to read just a few words from that speech. Uh, Oh, that we had Ronald Reagan back at a time like this. Let us pray for the salvation of all those who live in that totalitarian darkness. Pray they will discover the joy of knowing God. But until they do, let us be aware that while they preach the supremacy of the state, sound familiar? We're living in that borderline totalitarianism in America where governors, presidents have tried to push that agenda on us. They declare its omnipotence over the individual man and predict its eventual domination of all peoples on the earth. They are the focus of evil in the modern world. While America's military strength is important, let me add that here that I've always maintained that the struggle now going on for the world will never be decided by bombs and rockets, by armies or military might. The real crisis we face today is a spiritual one. At its root, it is a test of moral will and faith. That is the test that we have as citizens of planet Earth. It is a test of our moral will and our faith. Now, a lot of you are, you're not really up on where is Ukraine. I want to give you just a a quick overview of where Ukraine is and why it's so in such a precarious situation. Take a look at this map. And you'll notice that uh, Europe is right there. And there's a lot of, Russia is a pretty big place, clearly. Most of it you don't want to live in. It's kind of a frozen tundra. But but Ukraine is, is strategically positioned because of the Black Sea. And Russia wants to control that. It also then gives its leverage into these other European countries that uh, potentially could fall. And so Russia rarely stops where they are, especially when you have someone like Putin who really thinks he's, <clears throat> he's living out Peter the Great, uh, the czar from, from Russia. He's, he's trying to reenact this almost in his life. He's a megnomaniac, uh, probably a trillionaire, who doesn't know uh, where to stop, and that's what we're dealing with. You know, when you read in the Bible about people like Nebuchadnezzar who come in and, and they from Babylon and they take Israel captive, and you see these despotic rulers all through history, all the Bible is filled with them. There, there's Putin the Great, there's, there's Nebuchadnezzar the Great, there's you know, all these Assyrian empires and Roman empires, Greek empires, constantly marching their way across planet Earth, trying to control. Um, right now, we see there's about 190,000 troops on the border or in the interior of Russia. Uh, one thing that's frustrating Putin right now is he's not having as much success as he thought. It's really interesting that one of the first things they did was they captured Chernobyl. Remember Chernobyl, the, the atomic site, that uh, power site that uh, went haywire and, and melted down, and that's got about a 50-year life before you can really re-enter that and, and is safe. But why would they capture that? You see, they know something that we don't know. And when the president 
gives a, a statement like of Ukraine, like we are prepared, we have some, we have some special things ready for them when they come. Well, those those are triggers, aren't they? And there's a reason that uh, Putin flipped the switch and said, you know, we're going to go to a nuclear alert level. And he just did that, I, I believe, this morning or last night. Uh, why is he doing that? Uh, to put it in perspective, right now this is the largest war in Europe since World War II. That's why this is so critically important. That's why we, we really pray. We really pray for peace, don't we? We pray for wisdom. We pray, uh, you know, even if you don't like members of the political party, you want to pray for wisdom that comes from God because it affects all of us. Amen? Amen. Uh, right now, there's about 120,000 refugees. They estimate this will go to 5 million. And you think about that, that's people like you. It's people like me. It's people with kids and people with families and people with friends and family in hospitals. And, and they're in a refugee situation just to try to survive. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the lesson of the Russian seizure of Crimea in the Ukraine in 2014 is that you can't let Vladimir Putin get away with it. A Ukraine foreign minister said at the United Nations last Wednesday, the beginning of a large-scale war in Ukraine will be the end of the world order as we know it. Well, those are pretty big statements. And you wonder, does the Bible have anything to say? One of the things that I love to do is read the Bible and then read what's happening in the world and say, do I find any connections? Are there any parallels here that give me any indication about this? Well, there is a major section of Scripture in Ezekiel 38 and 39 where Russia is actually mentioned in its ancient name, and it talks about its aggression in the latter days. So I'm going to go ahead and turn you to Ezekiel 38, beginning in verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog. Now, by the way, this is a title of a person like a president, a czar, a prime minister of the land of Magog, and that's Russia. That's actually, they're actually called uh, Meganites. They're also known as the Scythians, and that was a Indo-European group that was in the south of Russia. The prince of Rosh, that's Russia, Meshach, that's Moscow, and Tubal is a river. It's also one of the descendants of Noah. And prophesy against him, saying, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now what's interesting there is God gives his position, because remember, God knows the, you know, the end from the very beginning. He, he sees all things. When we talk about God, we say that God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's also omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. So when God says, I know, he says, I know the heart of Gog or Russia from the very beginning. I know the rise of Lenin and Stalin I know what would happen, and I know that, that that state that tried to crush Christianity and control the world, I know what they're all about. Now, that doesn't mean that every Russian is a bad person. Sometimes we want to put everybody in the boat and just kind of sail them off down the river. But remember that there are a lot of God-fearing, kind, loving Russians in the world. Amen? 
And so what happens is when bad leadership comes in, then the masses are controlled by the bad leadership. That's why it's so important in America for us to have good leadership. They don't have to be perfect. They don't even have to be people that can write nice tweets. They just have to be people who understand leadership and understand in our world, we live in a very precarious situation on a daily basis because we're so complex and because it's a global society. But now look what God says he's going to do to Russia. He says, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and I will lead you out with all your army horses and horsemen, all clothed splendidly and a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So what does God say here? God says, I have an end time scenario. What I'm going to do, it's gonna be like putting a hook in your jaw and dragging you into a conflict. Now, why would God do that? And I'm not saying that Ukraine is that conflict. What I am saying is that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So God has a purpose and God has a reason. I love that passage in... um, the story of, of, of the Exodus where the Israelites are leaving Egypt and Pharaoh is there and God makes this comment. He says, I have raised up Pharaoh for this very purpose for my glory. See, Pharaoh thought it was all about him. God said, no, I let you rise to where you are that I might humiliate you at the Red Sea. It's the same way. Why doesn't God just wipe out Satan right now? Because there's coming a day And it may not be too far off where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in that day, not only will Satan be there bowing his knees, but every demon spirit and every despotic ruler of the past will be there bowing the knee, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So let's read on. When you read on to this scripture, then it begins to name countries. It talks about Persia, Ethiopia, which is Sudan, and Libya. Now, Persia is the ancient name for Iran, and that name was changed at the request or the suggestion of a German ambassador in 1933. And the word Iran literally means Aryan. And so that's why the best-selling book, usually in top three uh, in Iran, is Mein Kemp by Adolf Hitler, because their Iranians, by leadership level, are anti-Semitic. So you learn a lot when you kind of understand history, you understand language. And so you've got Persia, you've got Ethiopia. This is not the Ethiopia of Africa. This is the Ethiopia of Sudan. It was a name that was commonly used. And then Libya, which is, of course, Libya today. With them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer. Now, Gomer is interesting. That's, a, that's not the guy on TV a few years ago. This is, uh, this is actually the ancient name for Germany. So Gomer... Um, and all its troops and the house of Tagarma. Tagarma is actually modern-day Turkey, which is uh, one of the uh, most dominated uh, Muslim countries in the world today. From the far north and all its troops, many peoples are with you. So let's just kind of go through those names one by one, and then we're going to take you to the next uh, section of Scripture. Gog is a title of a person. Magog is Russia. Rosh is actually uh, Russia. Um, Meshach is Moscow, and Tubal is a river in Russia or a descendant of Noah. Persia 
is uh, modern-day Iran. By the way, I, I went through and Googled just to see what these countries' positions were on this Ukrainian, this invasion of Ukraine, of the Ukraine, and, and Iran was in favor of it, thought it was a wonderful idea. Uh, Sudan was in favor of it. Libya, no comment. Uh, Germany said we're stunned, which is basically worthless. And then Turkey said we're saddened, which is also worthless. And so on a world scale, if you look at the players in this scene, a lot of them are already lining up for this end-time scenario of Ezekiel 38 and 39. See, what happens is we misunderstand the nature and the threat of evil. We see today um, judges and we see political leaders who seem to have no concept of lawlessness. And really bad people are being released from prison. And, and the common person who says, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why does the criminal have more rights than the victim? You see, that's because of lawlessness. Now, in the Bible, the Bible calls the man of lawlessness, who is the Antichrist, by that very title for a reason, because he will bring disorder in order to bring control. And this is typically what happens when you have what's called a color revolution. And you'll, if you want to look that up, you can do it more. But it's the idea that we go into a country and we create a revolution in order to change the political powers that be in order that, for example, if America's instigating through the CIA a color revolution, they're doing it because we don't like who's in power, so we're going to create a revolution. It's going to look like it's the people, but in reality it was the CIA. This is just how it works. I know, trust me, America's not always pure, all right? Neither are you, though. Amen? I look at your neighbor and say, you're not pure. All right, but I'm forgiven, amen? Okay. Ezekiel 38, verses 7 through 10. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be on guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter days or latter years. Now, this is a, the, the term latter days or latter years is a technical term in Scripture. It doesn't just mean tomorrow. It actually is reserved for end time kind of stuff. Jesus talked about in the last days. This is what's going to happen. So he's telling us not when, but he's telling us a period of time that's going to be close toward the end. You will come into the land, and the land he's talking about here happens to be Israel. So this scripture is particularly not about Ukraine, but it's about the nation of Israel. And Israel has always been the target, hasn't it? Throughout time, it has been the target. Why? And why is God so protective of Israel? Because it was through Israel that the Messiah would come. In fact, there's only one city in the Bible that God calls his city, and that's Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? And he says it is, in the Hebrew, the navel of the world. You know what that means? That means it's the center of the world. That means everything revolves around it. If you've ever been to Israel, it's not a particularly pretty country. It's rocks and desert, but you know there's something different when you get there. You say, this, this just feels different. People told me that, and then when we got there, I thought, it really does. And it is, it is the most contended piece of real estate on planet Earth. Amen? There's a reason. God has a purpose. God has a reason. So in the latter days, it says, you will come back from the land. Now look at this. You will come back into the land of those who brought you back with sword and gathered you from many people uh, on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. Now, now look at what he's telling you here. 
He's saying to Ezekiel, 2,600 years ago, Israel is in uh, the diaspora. That means they're dispersed across the world. But I'm going to bring a time when I'm going to bring everybody back together. And if you look at the history of Israel, that seems crazy. How could that ever happen? In fact, think of that, that, that worst moment in time during World War II where Adolf Hitler destroyed, wiped out some six million Jews. Would you ever think in that moment that Israel would become a nation? As according to Isaiah 66, it would be born in a day. Would you ever imagine that they would grow to power and then in 1950 they would establish a law called the Law of Return and that gave the right for everybody with Jewish blood to come back and be a citizen of Israel? And he said, I will gather from the north. That's Russia. In 1972, what did Russia do? They expelled all the Jews. They said, get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. Little did they know that all their brilliant scientists were Jews. I just love the way God works. And, and, and Russia, who thinks they're just all that and a bag of chips, find himself basically a very former superpower who's still trying to box above their weight. Without the scientists, without the blessing of God, on their land. And then God would bring them out of Ethiopia. This is the Ethiopia of Africa. He said, I will bring my people. And there were four or five airlifts that came out of Ethiopia where God was bringing back these, these Ethiopian Jews. You say, how in the world did the Jews get down there? Some people think the Queen of Sheba who married Solomon and that Jewish bloodline was down there. In fact, when we were in Ethiopia, there speaking at the embassy, it was really interesting because they took us to the place where they said, this is where the Ark of the Covenant is. And it's in underground, and they move it constantly, and there are the, those who watch it, those, those who are guarded with the secret, if it's really there, uh, they will give their life to protect it. You see, is it? The, I don't know. I know it was on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I saw it there. <laughs> now, how they got it to Ethiopia, I don't have a clue. But you see, the, the mystery of God is what makes this so exciting. Because ultimately, you know that God loves you. God's going to protect you. Even through tough times, you're going to somehow, you're somehow going to not lose your faith if you really know the Lord. And that he will work all things out to the good, not to everybody, but to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's just a promise from Romans chapter 8. So look what else it says here. He says, I'm going to bring you back. You're going to dwell safely. You will, uh, now look at this. You will ascend coming like a storm. So here comes, here comes Gog and Magog and all your troops and many peoples. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it will come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. So what's behind this, this attack is an evil plan. Where does the evil plan come from? Well, from the evil one. Now, we've been blindsided by evil on many occasions. You know, people were content and happy, and, and all of a sudden, World War II broke out for America with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It took us, we were blindsided by evil. We were blindsided by evil with 9-11. Throughout history, you see we're blindsided because we underestimate evil, not only on a global scale, but on an individual scale, we underestimate it. We underestimate what it means to compromise with God. We underestimate what sin does in our life. 
We underestimate what it means to not love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And we think we can kind of, you know, play both sides of the fence sometimes. We live a little over here, live a little over there. But no, God wants to, he knows what's best for you. I, I call the Bible the owner's manual. You know, if you got a car and you, you don't know much about cars, you should probably check the owner's manual and see about changing oil and things like that. And if you don't, your car may stop in the middle of the road and you say, this is a crummy car, I'll never get one of these again. But the reality was you didn't read the manual. If you don't know the Bible, you're gonna find that you're gonna stop in the middle of the road cursing God because he didn't take care of you. That's why the word of God is living and active and sharper, the Bible says, than any two-edged sword. It pierces deep into the vision of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow revealing the true intentions of the heart. That's why if you're not in the Bible, then you're probably feel free to do whatever you want to do. The Bible is a corrector. It's like a mirror. I look in the mirror and I go, that's what I look like. And then the more you stay in front of the mirror, the more you know what you look like because it's easy. Look yourself in the mirror, take off, and then not realize something went haywire in the middle of the day. Well, that's what the Bible is. I have to keep it. That's why it says lay up for yourself these scriptures in your heart that you might not sin against God. The word of God is always going to guide you. It's a light unto your feet. It's a, it's a guide unto your path. The word of God is living and active, the Bible says. The word of God says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, it does what? It abides forever. Thy word, O Lord, is, is lifted up. It is eternal. It is in the heavens. Guess what? When you get to heaven, you're still gonna need the word of God. Amen? And And blindsided by evil, and then you know, the timing of evil. You know, in Proverbs 1, it talks about those who lay in wait to shed innocent blood. And then they try to recruit others. They said, come with us and, and join us in this endeavor. We want to shed innocent blood, don't you? And whether it's politicians who are manipulating economic systems in other countries like Ukraine and Russia or China or anywhere else, that's laying in wait to shed innocent blood. And so we have to understand there is a threat that we have to contend with, not only in our prayer life, not only in our personal, the way we live our life, but also the way that we view our world and get involved in our world. It's just, it's just mandated by God. We have to do that. I mean, think about Daniel. He's a young man. He's taken captive out of, out of his home. He's taken back to Babylon and basically, the king says, um, you're going to do what I say. You're going to bow to the gods I say. You're going to eat the food that I say. And he says, no. If I perish, I perish. Just kill me. That's okay, but I'm not going to do that. And we read about him because he didn't do that. The Bible doesn't have a lot of stories about those who didn't do that. You're remembered for the good you do, not for the bad you do. The Bible says the wicked are like rottenness to the bones of the righteous. How do you want to be remembered? There's an evil plan. So Satan has a plan. There's a story that's told. It's not a true story, but it is a story that illustrates a great point where Napoleon has gathered all of his generals around a map of the world. This part is true, by the way. The second part is imagined. And, he, and, he, and his generals say, let's go into Russia. Let's go into China. You know, they did go into Russia. They did not go into China. When he looked at China, he said, no, there lies a sleeping giant. Let it sleep. 
Now imagine another map. It's a map of the church. All the demons in hell have gathered around that map of the church. And one demon says, let's go into the church and cause problems there. And Satan says, no, there lies a sleeping giant. Let it sleep. Because if the church ever realized and harnessed its power in the Holy Spirit, they would be totally unstoppable. I think it's time to harness some power, don't you? Interesting, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice said this about the current crisis in referring to Putin. It says, Putin appears erratic and is descending into something I've never seen before. He was always calculating and cold, but this is different. He seems erratic. There is an ever-deepening delusional rendering of history. It was always a kind of victimology about what had happened to them, but now it goes back to blaming Lenin for the foundations of Kiev, Ukraine. Whenever, you know, this guy was a former head of KGB. He's not used to making mistakes. But there's an irrationality that doesn't even make sense here. Even in the middle of really an outcry of the world and even the UN, who we all know is so strong. Um, but there seems to be an ignoring that. And you, and you wonder, what is happening here? I, I see it as the plan of God. You know what God has been doing through COVID? He has been thinning out the crowd. He's been trying to figure out what Christians and what churches are going to stand for God. And a lot of you are here because your church wouldn't open. A lot of you are here because your church compromised somewhere along the way, and you said, I don't want that in my life. And then a lot of people left here because they didn't want to stand for America. They didn't want to stand for truth. They didn't want to be in the mix. They just wanted to know three ways that they could love their wife more. And that's an important message, but there's a bigger message than that. Paul said, I did not shrink to teach you the whole counsel of God. And I warned you day and night that there's going to be those from the outside and those from the inside that are gonna to seek to divide the fold. You see, the Bible wants us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, amen? We have to put on the full armor of God. We must be willing to stand, not sit or run, stand against evil in our day. We have to understand the times that we're living in. Look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse three. Jesus has gathered his disciples. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Hey, I have that question, don't you? Jesus, will you tell me what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then Jesus in Matthew 24, I'd encourage you to read that chapter. We're not gonna deal with it today, but read that chapter because he unfolds basically what the future's gonna look like and he brings you all the way up through the second coming in just one chapter. Well, let me, let me put it in perspective. We, we have a chart here, and, and if you want to take a picture of this, it might be helpful just to kind of go back and remember. Um, but if we look at Russia in prophecy, what I, what I want to do is I want to point out a few bullet points on here that are significant. You'll notice in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, there refers to a great falling away. And what that is, that means that you're going to see Christian, those who call themselves Christians are going to fall away from the faith. That's just going to happen. He says, in the latter days, it's going to happen more repeatedly than you can imagine. You'll hear people say, well, he used to be a Christian. I always say, the one who says he used to be a Christian, he never was a Christian. 
okay? Now, notice that I've got, so I think we're in the period of the great falling away already. I don't think we've seen the culmination of it. We're just, it's beginning. Uh, then you see Ezekiel 38, 39 is falling in, the, in line somewhere before the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13. And then when the church is gone, it says the Holy Spirit, the restrainer of evil, leaves planet Earth, opens the way up for the tribulation, and then when you get down to midway, you'll notice there's the mark. That's the beginning of the great tribulation, the mark of the beast. Uh, that's where the famous 666, the mark on the hand of the forehead, takes place. Um, and that's beginning of the great tribulation that Matthew refers to in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21. And then the, the great battle of Armageddon takes place at the end of the tribulation. Jesus returns uh, to stop the, the, the battles. The kings of the earth have assembled themselves, Psalm 2, against the Lord and against his anointed and he stops the battle, and then we enter into a time of judgment um, and the millennial reign of Christ. So that's a quick overview. Now let me, let me give you a couple of more scriptures uh, because this is important. Daniel chapter 10, it talks a little bit about some of these same players, but where, where's the real battle? The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now this, who's, who's being withstood here? An angel. 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. There's that phrase again. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. So we understand there's a spiritual battle happening here in Persia. Daniel chapter 10, verse 20. I, that is the angel, must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth that no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So what's happening? There are demonic forces behind the scenes in every nation on planet Earth trying to control the destiny of people. But what do we do? Well, Ephesians chapter 10, be strong in the Lord. How do you beat that? Be strong in the Lord. It doesn't say go, you should worry. You should fret. No, it says be strong in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And in the power of his might, not your might. It's not about you. Not by might, by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Okay, I want you just to stand with me right now. I want you to get f further dressed. All right? Just repeat after me. Today... I put on the armor of God. I protect my mind. I protect my heart, my emotions. I guard the truth. I take up the sword, which is the word of God. I put on the shoes of the gospel that I might spread God's love and salvation message. I will stand in the midst of the storm in the power of the Lord and the strength of his might. Amen.